We're headed to the book of Judges, and what we're talking about is a Model T Ford, okay? The story is a true story that went that several have documented that what happened, a young man is driving through Michigan. He's got his family with him, driving one of these old cars back in those days. And all of a sudden, the car stopped working. The car stopped, and he couldn't figure it out. He's out there working on there, trying to get it running. And while he's working on it, cars are going by, but then all of a sudden, a large car stops by, a more modern car, a limousine, if you would. Since his was older, this one shows up, and a fella gets out, rather distinguished-looking man from the back seat, comes walking up and just stares at the car and looks over his shoulder at what he's doing. Never says a word. This young man says, can I help you? He says, no. And just keeps on watching. The young man's tinkering, tinkering, trying to get it going. And after several minutes go by, the older man says, why don't you do And he makes a suggestion. And the young man says... <sighs> to himself, you know, I'm going to listen, this guy didn't offer anything, but he does what the older man said, and the older man's there, now it's going to run, and so he got the car cranked up, and it started running, no problem whatsoever, and he turned to me, he said, how did you know, and he says, well, my name is Henry Ford, okay, I made these cars, I know how they work, and what's good about them, what's bad about them, and how to keep them going, at times, we need the Henry Fords of our life, People who really know. But let's take it a step further. Let's take it to the spiritual level. We have a God who knows exactly what we need and what we are like. What our weaknesses are, what our strengths are. He knows even the very number of the hairs on our head. He knows all about us. He's gifted us in some areas and not in some of the areas. And he is the grand architect of our lives, of all that we can do. And this God has a plan for your and my life. It's very clear in scriptures that he has a will for us, that he has a design for us, that he has, he has a purpose for us. Well, the ultimate purpose is to bring glory and honor to him. It's not to make money. It's not to have fun. It's not to, to you know, make a name for yourself. And even though God might grant that to some of us, the ultimate purpose that God has created us is to bring him glory, to honor him, to magnify him. And the plan that he has for our lives as far as where we live, the plan as far as our education. The plan as far as our career choices. The plan as far as our family. The number in our family and what we do in that regard. God has this will. The problem for us is a lot of us struggle with how to figure out the will of God. And there's all kinds of suggestions that come out. There is a suggestion that comes out of the passage of the book of Judges that many people employ. It's a, it's a suggestion that comes from Judges chapter 6. If you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, we're going through the book of Judges, we're talking about the man by the name of Gideon. And here's Gideon, his story in Judges chapter 6, that he is taking steps for God. And we read down in verse 34, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, he blew the trumpet, and Abiezer was gathered after him. And then it lists a number of the other tribes. People are coming to rally to him because God has told him, you're going to be the leader. You're going to be the one who's going to lead my troops into battle against the Midianites, and we're going to have a great victory. And he sends the messengers, verse 35, throughout all the region, and they gather and list some of the people. And while he is waiting for people to come, and by the way, isn't this a truism? Waiting is some of the most difficult times in life. Just waiting to see what is God going to do. Waiting to hear the result of that biopsy. Waiting to find out, am, am I accepted for this job, for this position? Waiting to hear about, okay, are we going to have another baby? Aren't we going to have a baby? Or waiting until the birth of that baby. Waiting to find out, okay, what's the results of all this work I put in on this test, this exam? Waiting is really difficult. And while he is waiting, it says, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. 
And if the dew be on the fleece only, and if it be dry upon the, all the earth beside the fleece, then shall I know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. He rose up early in the morning and thrust the fleece together and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak one more time. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this one time with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece, and upon all the ground there around, let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. This passage has created more books and more suggestions on how to find the will of God. And my question is, is it legitimate to throw out a fleece? Is it, based on this story, is it proper for us to say, God, if you want me to get married... Bring a redhead through that door in the next 10 seconds. Okay. Now, you laugh. I'm going to use real-life illustrations without names or stuff through this message. And some of it will sound trite and silly, but that's the way that this has confused many Christians. And so we ask the question, is it a good thing? I want to answer in a broad sense, okay, before getting specific. I want you to just, as you do this study with me, just thinking about what's in this text, I want you to understand something. God's patience with Gideon, listening to Gideon, his proposals, giving him the water on the fleece but not the ground, giving him the water on the ground but not the fleece. God's patience with Gideon in this story does not equate to, it is not the same as God's approval. Just because God was patient with his questions with his proposals. That doesn't mean this is God saying this is what everybody should do. You should throw out a fleece. You should give all these kind of propositions and suggestions. Let me remind you that according to scripture, God was patient in allowing the bill of divorce. He even deals with it in the New Testament. He says out of the hardness of your hearts, God allowed this bill of divorce. That doesn't mean that God was promoting it. That was the confusion amongst the Jewish people when they came to Jesus. Aren't we commanded to do divorce if we have a problem with our wife's cooking? And he's got to challenge me. He says, just because they, it was allowed doesn't mean it's approved or it's something he's encouraging. In the Old Testament, they had multiple wives. Just because God was allowing that in mercy and in grace and dealing with some bigger issues doesn't mean he was promoting polygamy. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, he said it is not good for the man to be alone. And he brings one woman to the man. And throughout scriptures, we have that same repetition. A man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. They shall become one. Not a whole bunch in this thing. And so we can go through other, other, other illustrations. Moses had a temper issue. He had a temper issue that he was going to prove that he was the leader, lost his temper, killed the Egyptian. He loses his temper, wipes out the tablets that God has made. He loses his temper another time says, God, wipe out all of Israel. It doesn't mean God being patient with him doesn't mean God said, that's okay, you can have a temper. And, it's, and I'm approving that. I can give you the story of Abraham. We've been looking at it Wednesday nights. Abraham twice lies about his wife and says, she is my half-sister to spare his own life from men who wanted to take her as, uh, as their, their wife, part of their concubine, part of, the, part of their harem. And he lies about it. And he doesn't get direct discipline from the Lord. Does that mean God's approving of Abraham's lie and his deception? God's patient with the disciples. They want to call down fire from heaven. And just because he didn't you know, just because he didn't smack them across the head, as you would, to try to change them. And just because he, at times, just he deals with other issues, doesn't mean he's approving of their anger and of their rejection of others. Just because God allows, at times, in patience, he forgives you repeatedly of something you've done, that doesn't mean that God's approving what you've done. 
And so here we have a story where people are running to and saying, well, this is the way we find the will of God. Because it worked. Because, it, it, because it, it, there, was, there was a result that Gideon got what he asked for. Well, Israel got kings that they asked for. Was that God's will for them? Actually, it wasn't. And did they have problems in the end? Actually, they did. So I want to make this observation that just because we think it worked doesn't mean it's right. Just because God was patient in answering this weak man's prayer request doesn't mean God approves this method for everybody. He allowed it, and he allowed it, he answered Gideon, but that doesn't mean he's approving that every one of us should start throwing out a fleece. Let me give you another observation that I think is very important. Knowing God's will is not tied to something mystical and magical and miraculous. That's what Gideon thought. Gideon has asked for a sign from God. We read about, we talked about the last, uh, this morning and last week. And so he's tuned in, in, in this whole idea. He's all hung up on miracles. He's, he's saying, where is God? When we've got all these problems. Remember in chapter 6, where is God? What happened to the miracles? God, if this is real for me, then give me a miracle. And he's hung up on seeing something phenomenal, something fantastic, something dynamic, something that has real pizzazz to it. If it has pizzazz, then it must be really good and something that we should do today. What's interesting is to observe, if you go through this passage and dissect it, that when it comes to the will of God, God revealed his will to Gideon, not to hide it, but he made it very clear to him by coming and talking to him. And saying, Gideon, this is what I want. God wants his will to be revealed. It isn't, it isn't something hidden that we have to have something mystical and magical and something miraculous and a, you know, a sign in the sky. And I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden I get a vision. This is how I find the will of God. I'm laying in my bed and all of a sudden the voice of God fills the room. And all of a sudden there's lights and the bed starts spinning. Then I know it's the will of God. Is that how God reveals his will? You know, there's something, some people that don't realize that according to the New Testament, it talks about God, his works in us. He wants us both to do his will, to know it, and to do of his good pleasure. He writes to the Colossians, this is what I'm praying for. I don't cease to pray for you, that, to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. It's not through something mystical and magical. He's saying this is something that comes in response to prayer. It's praying for myself, praying for others, that God make his will known. And it's not, it's not uh, let, me, let me phrase this, it's not that hard to determine the will of God. We make it hard. We make it confusing. But God has made it clear what his will is. God has opened up and already told us, and we don't need something mystical, something magical. It takes personal effort in time with what God has revealed to know his will. It's not that hard, but it takes time and effort. The problem for us is, too many of us want something mystical and magical and immediate. It's a lot easier to know God's will if he gives me a sign, as opposed to me examining his word and learning his word's principles. That takes time. That takes study. That takes effort. So Lord, instead of me doing that, just give me a sign. Fill up my gas tank without me stopping at the pump. I've had people tell me that's how they knew it was God's will. That somehow their gas tank was miraculously filled up. Same person who told me that six months later said he had his gas gauge fixed. Okay? So it makes you wonder, does it not? But it sounds very spiritual. It sounds very mystical and magical to say something 
Ooh, and I found the will of God. Let me, let me make another observation. The use of the, of the fleece in this passage is not a good one. Now, you may think that this is, a, this is something that is really fabulous in the story. I think just the opposite by looking at the story. I think that what Gideon did was not a display of faith. It was a display of faithlessness. Just the opposite. Here's why I say that. Number one reason is God's will was already revealed from God's mouth. God's revelation had already been employed. He had already come to Gideon. Go back in chapter 6, verse 14. God said to Gideon, back in chapter 6, 14, he said, Go in this thy might. You shall save Israel Have not the ha- from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you? Look at verse 16. Surely I will be with you. You shall smite the Midianites as one man. It's very clear. What is God's will for Gideon? Lead the army. Lead the army. God said so. And then we read, when he starts talking, and it's my misprint up here, it's chapter 6, not 7. Look at Gideon's statement that we already read. If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. He says the same thing in verse 37. He says, I'll put out the fleece, la-da-da-da-da. I know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Doesn't that strike you odd? He tells God, I know what you told me, twice. And if it's really true what you told me, twice. This isn't, this isn't something fabulous. This is a display of not accepting what's come out of the mouth of God. In fact, let's take it a little bit further. This is not an act of faith. This is an act of doubt. He isn't confident. He isn't believing what God's word has been. What God has told him. Because he says, I will know. This is how I'm going to know I'm going to save Israel. If you do something phenomenal and magical and mystical for me. But you've already told me twice. You know that bumper sticker that, that people you know, think is a fabulous bumper sticker? You know, God said it. How does it go? God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Okay? That, that's a misnomer. That's a mistake. God settled it. It doesn't make any difference if we believe it. It settles it. God said it. That settles it. That's not Gideon. This fleece is not, a, is not an act of confidence. This is an act of cowardice that he is saying, here, do, let me show you something. And so there's nothing commendable in what he's doing here. Don't, don't run to this passage and use it. In fact, it doesn't even work in strengthening his faith. He does this so that he can be built in the faith. And yet, look at the passage. Lord, and I'm going to say it wrong, possibly. I'm going by memory. Put all the water on the fleece and leave the ground dry. Then I'll know. God does it that way, and what does he do? He's still not convinced. He still doesn't believe it. Lord, I'm not sure. Maybe it was a fluke of nature that night. Maybe the dew got blown away. Maybe something else happened. I need another sign. And so now it's put the water everywhere else, but leave the fleece dry. It doesn't work. Look further in chapter 7, okay? What he does is he, get, he's, he makes up these he, he challenges, and then his doubts are still not satisfied. He has to try it again, try it again. And in chapter 7, verse 10, when it's the eve of the battle, God says, if you're still not convinced... 
so this isn't an act of faith. This is an act of doubt. And he's not doing it to, con- he's doing it to confirm. He's doing it in the sense of saying, help me build my faith. But he's not letting his faith be built. He is still struggling with it. And that's the danger with fleeces. Fleeces are fickle. They are dangerous tools. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. And again, I'm basing these on true accounts, but changing just a little bit of the thing. We believe if God, if God really wants us to sell our house, God, then you send somebody to call at 11 a.m. to come and look at our house. I've got a problem with that. What happens if they call at 1055? What if they call 1110? Was it God or was it the devil? Didn't happen right at 11. Okay. What happens if somebody calls the next day and they offer you more than what you were asking? Well, I'm sure that most of us say, that's the will of God. Okay. <laughs> All of a sudden it changes. Here's one. Okay. This is true. Gal and Guy determined that it was God's will for them to get married because they were, they were dating in college and they decided to stop at a jewelry store in the mall in the city where they were going to college. They decided that let's just walk in. But this was their prayer. God, if you want us to get married... Let us find a ring in this store that fits. Seriously? What do you think the chances are they're going to find a ring that fits in a jewelry store? Pretty high, not? My question is this. What if you find one that fits, but you hate the ring? You know, what does that tell you? And the chances are you're going to find something. So I'm determining my life's mate based upon if this store has a ring. I think there's a whole lot better criteria to figure out if you're marrying this guy or not. Okay, here's one. A ministry says, we will buy this property. We will know it's God's will if we buy, let's say, you know, some home over here we're going to buy and use it for missions. We know it's God's will if God provides $100,000 by tomorrow night. What if God only gives 90000 And then what do we do with the 90000 What if it comes in a week later? Chances are, if it comes in a week later, we're going to say, oh, that was God's will. We'll just modify things. You know, some of the big questions are, could you afford it in the first place? You know, there are other principles to add in here, but these are real instances of people determining the will of God based on something fickle that they have thrown and cast before God Almighty and set the standards. Which leads me to another thought. This isn't God dictating to Gideon. This is Gideon dictating to God. Gideon is the one laying out the structure here. Gideon is the one that's saying, I'm going to prove you, God. I'm going to test you, God. I'm going to see if you're really up to snuff here on this thing. He's the one that is setting the standards. God has already told him, go. Go. That's, that's a simple truth that God told him back in chapter 6. Go in this thy might. I will be with you. You will defeat the Midianites. But Gideon lacks the faith and the confidence to do it. So Gideon comes up and he doesn't know the battle plans. Now that would make any of us nervous. We don't know all the details. It would make us nervous. Say, pack up your family, move from Ur of the Chaldees, go until I tell you. That would make most of us nervous you know, if we were Abrahams. It would make most of us nervous to try to figure out how we're going to go out and battle Goliath. Okay, that would make us nervous. Okay, it's nerve-wracking at times to do these things. Gideon doesn't have the details. He's supposed to operate by faith. And Gideon instead says, okay, as I'm waiting for this, I'm going to put myself in the driver's seat, and I'm going to tell you, God, how you need to meet and deal with things. In fact, Gideon does something that I find quite heinous compared to the life of Christ in the Gospels. Never do I see a miracle done by Jesus Christ where Jesus did it for personal gain, where it was all about him. 
all of his miracles were all about ministering, giving, making a stage to give out the word of God. It wasn't for his self, himself doing something for him. In fact, the only time that he is asked to do a miracle that would be self-beneficial was when he was asked to jump off the pinnacle. He was asked to mul- turn the stones into bread. Who posed that to Jesus? It was Satan. That, you, that, that, that nature's rules get suspended for Jesus' personal benefit. Well, Gideon is saying, suspend all of nature. Because I need this. This is just about me. This is something I want. So I, I, find, I find this fleece concept really, really a dangerous concept. Really, in fact, let me, let me just say it. Throw out the fleece. Don't use it. Don't throw it out as testing God. Get rid of it. Don't do it. But here's the big question then. How do we know God's will for our life? How do we determine it? I am not going to settle this age-long question in the next 10 minutes, but I'm going to give you some principles that will make this a whole lot easier. Let me remind you, God gives us a guide for guidance. He does a whole lot better than just a sign. He gives us a complete guide called the Bible. And it gives us guidance. Within this Bible, there are specific commands. There are clear, clear statements made about this is the will of God. I'll give you one right off the top of my head. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, this is the will of God that you possess your vessel in holiness. No immorality. That is the will of God. I'll give you one out of Thessalonians. That applies to this week. In everything give thanks. That's the will of God. It's stated very clearly. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the will of God. There are specific, clear statements. There are also general statements, general principles throughout the word of God that help us to determine the will of God. Be ye holy. Okay? There are principles that talk about be forgiving. Principles that talk about how you work. That you shouldn't be a man pleaser, but serve the Lord, whether the boss is there or not. Together, they give this tremendous information about what is the will of God. We could just start listing off a whole bunch of these. It is God's will to get saved. It is God's will to be holy. It is God's will to keep from immorality. It's God's will to be baptized. It's God's will to work at your marriage. It's God's will to train your children. It's God's will to provide for your family. If you don't, you're worse than a infidel. We know that it's God's will for you to give out the gospel. It's God's will for you to support and encourage missionaries. It's God's will to visit the widows. It's God's will that you're charitable. Avoid worldly activities. These are all clearly God's will to worship on Sundays. God's will not to stumble weak believers. We've looked at some of these in recent weeks. This is God's will. I take the principles, I take the general statements, and I look and say, okay, what is God wanting? And a lot of this, a tremendous amount of this information, as I study, as I contemplate, it helps me to make everyday decisions. There's a fellow who that, some of you, if you read biographies of heroic believers, this is one you got to read, George Mueller, Mueller. He was just a praying, praying man. His ministries were multiple orphanages that were, in today's economy, he'd have $25 million worth that he was handling through his own personal hands in helping out all these different charities. He wrote about finding the will of God. 
And one of the books that he wrote, he talks about it this way. He recommended that you take a journal. And in this journal, what you do is you take a piece of paper, and on there you put a line down the middle. On one side, you write down all the positive reasons when you're trying to make a decision, what would be positive about this in the, in the thinking of God. And on the other side, you put down all the negative reasons based on principles from the Word of God. Then what he recommended to do is he said that he would take time to pray through this paper. He would take several days praying, and he said in his observations that many times the columns would shift. Some things on one side would shift to the other side. The more he prayed about it, the more he understood and got insight into some of his thinking that said, what I thought God would approve, uh, that's not a good thing, or vice versa. And then he concluded, he said that as I prayed and meditated, the answers became clear most every single time. In fact, I quote what he said. Nine-tenths of the difficulties I had in discovering the will of God are overcome when my heart is ready to do the Lord's will, whatever that may be. So knowing the will of God started with me being surrendered to it. Whatever you want, God. Whatever you want, make it evident, make it clear, but whatever you want. And so he would go through and he commented later, when I'm truly in the state of surrender, it is usually but a little way to the knowledge of what his will is. The idea is understanding that God gives us a guide for guidance. God's guidance in his word then is confirmed Okay, and I'm using words specifically to help understand this whole process. It's confirmed by the Spirit's peace. The Spirit's peace can confirm it. I question whether we say, well, I have peace about it and I don't have any nervousness. That may not be the way to figure out God's will. Okay? And, I, and I'm not trying to be silly. Very few weddings, very few weddings is there not nervousness. Okay? But there is a sense of, I believe... Based on biblical principles, this is the person for me. And so there's a confidence that way. But this peace idea, I want you to catch. The Bible does talk about it. Be careful for nothing but in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known in God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep or guard your heart and your minds through Jesus Christ. So there is a peace aspect. That God's spirit can confirm his direction through the peace he gives. But I want you to catch something that, as Paul writes in Colossians, that helps us to put this in perspective. That the peace of God ruling your hearts, to which also you are called. That's in chapter 3, verse 15. The next verse says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. It still goes back to the word of God. The word of God has got to be, because can an individual convince themselves it is God's will if they want to do something contrary to the word of God, can they say, I've got real peace about it? Sure they can. Okay, so it's not the peace that leads, it's the peace that gives confirmation, but it goes back to the word. So we make this observation. The guidance found in God's word can be confirmed by peace. The guidance found in God's word can be confirmed by inner desires. Is there the lead is their confirmation at times that God can work in our inner desires. Well, Philippians talks about that. It is God who both works in you to will and to do his good will. In fact, we have a passage talking about, about this will of God and having a desire. It says, if any man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. Just because somebody desires to be a pastor, does that mean that it is God's will for anyone and everyone with that desire to be a pastor? No, because he says, if you desire, you desire something good. And then what does he give right after that? Uh, uh, bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife. And all of a sudden he gives qualifications. So desire is something good, but it is not the criteria and the end all. 
The end all is, what about those principles of qualification? In fact, I remind you, and some of you be careful with this verse, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, if I really desire this, this must be from God. There's some things I desire that I know aren't from God. How about you? Okay, not, no true confessions, but we can get into problems that way. Look at the verse. God will give you the desires of your heart. That's not what it says. What does it say? If you delight yourself in the Lord. So it starts with you completely surrendering to the Lord, going back to delighting in him, in what he reveals about himself, what he tells us about himself, what he tells us about holy living. If I delight in the revelation that God gives about himself, it's going to change my desires. My desires are going to tune up with the word of God, and then I get those desires. So you have confirmation that can come by peace. You can have confirmation that comes by inner desires. You can have confirmation that comes by circumstances. But again, you always start with the Word of God. So the circumstances, and, I, and I want, again, I want, I'm cautioning you, be careful on circumstances being the criteria for making your decisions. Because even though we should evaluate circumstances, can we go contrary to the Word of God if we go by circumstances only? Watch. Abraham considered circumstances, said, God, you should accept Eliezer as my heir. You should accept Ishmael as my heir. But that wasn't the will of God. That was different, that God had a different will than what the circumstances said. In the book of Judges, they were always overwhelming opposition. They had to operate by faith. Circumstances would say, don't go against these enemies. But faith said, this is the will of God, we move forward. David, circumstances in favor of going out and, and fighting Goliath? No, no. Circumstances, really good that Peter should get out of that boat? In fact, the circumstances were such that how many stayed in the boat? All the rest. Okay? Because circumstances say to you, don't walk on water. If you do, you... Okay. So if we go by circumstances only, we could do what Paul's captors did. Oh, the season looks good. Let's set sail, even though it's the rough winter season. Let's set sail. And they almost lost everybody's life on that boat because they were going purely by circumstances. We can and should consider circumstances, but they are subordinate to what? The Word of God. We can consider desires, but they are subordinate to what? The word of God. We can consider the peace that God may give, but it should be subordinate to what? The word of God. It always comes back to the same thing. That God's word is the key, and it's the criteria by what we go by. There is also counsel. We can look at many passages that talk about counsel, that he that walks with wise men, you're going to be wise. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. We can talk about that whole concept that's talked about counselors. But you still have to stop and pause and say, make sure you have godly counsel. Could you find people? If, let's, say you want to, let's say you want to be dishonest with your taxes. Could you find people to encourage you to do that? Yeah. Could you find people... Let's say that you're, you're, you have a job, you're working, or you're, you know, whatever it is. Could you find people that you're working with that say, it's okay to cheat and to lie to the boss and not work when they're not there? Can you find people that would approve that? Sure. Could you find people that would approve the idea, you don't need to read your Bible? 
Sure you could. Could you find people that would approve the idea, do not discipline your children? Can you find anybody that would say that? Well, sure. Okay, we can find all kinds of counsel. We can find all kinds of stats. Just go on the internet. Oh, but, but you know, if it's in, on the internet, it must be. Yeah. So you've got to be careful. And I remind you, I know this is going to be as popular as a rock hitting on the head. But I remind you of this thought. Be careful of immature, inexperienced counselors. When Rehoboam was put on the throne, he, he stopped listening to the counselor, counsel of who? And I know we don't like this. The older, wiser, experienced individuals, and he listened to the counsel of his friends, his peers. And his peers said, don't have charity towards the people, be more of a dictator. And what happened? Civil war. Did they ever get the nation back together? Be careful of your counselors, okay? God's word says there's, there's wisdom in counselors, but you've got to pick wise counselors. So let's bring it all together and let's wrap it up with this. What do I do with what we just talked about? You go to your knees. You want to know the will of God? Start on your knees. You've got to pray more. You've got to really pray surrendered prayer. God, guide me. God, lead me. Whatever you want. If you don't want us to move, you don't want us to buy, if, if this gal, this guy, I really have an attraction for them, but I see, Lord, I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. Is this the person you want? And then, as you're on your knees, you are going to the Word. And you are comparing biblical principles. By the way, does the Bible talk about what kind of person to look for to marry? Oh man, it's loaded with it. And you start looking at the Word of God and saying, I really like this person. In fact, I feel attracted to this person. I think I am almost beginning to love this person. But here's what the Word says. The Word says this about that, their character. The Word says this about, about their reputation. The Word says this, and I can't go against the Word. Is it hard to do the will of God in those spots? It is. You go to your knees, you go to the Word, and then you go to the wise. This takes time. All of this takes time. It takes effort. It would be easier if we said, God, give me a wet car in the morning. The rest of the area, let it be dry. But let my car be soaking wet. Hmm. The next day, God, let everything be wet, but my car totally dry. And I'm going to leave the windows open even, just to test you, God. Okay. It would be more mystical, more magical, but it is it biblical. This is biblical. 